0: Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares.
1: Paul doesn't want us to be filled with scars in our Christian life, of having compromised and crossed lines. He doesn't want, to put it in Abigail's words, for us to have the staggering burden of violating God's standards. And some of you can testify to this. You know how terribly frustrating it is to have a scar on your conscience.
0: ever thought about getting revenge? When we've been wronged, the thought of getting even can feel so justified, but sin is never worth it. Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares is continuing our study in 1 Samuel chapter 25, and we reach the point where David is plotting to kill Nabal in revenge. Justified or not, when we compromise God's word, we're only fooling ourselves. To hear the complete uncut sermon, go to focalpointradio.org. Now here's Pastor Mike.
1: I can see a non-Christian saying, if something in my life is pressing, if I feel a desire to do something, if I think I need revenge or I think I need pleasure or I think I need satisfaction, I just got to do it because I'm on my own here. And I suppose non-Christians have a pretty good excuse, but Christians have no excuse because we have the resources of God. He calls us his father. He says like a father to his child. I'm just waiting to hear your requests. I'm the king of kings and lord of lords, and you're a child of mine. Treat yourself with dignity. Don't start acting like the rest of the world, thinking you've got to do what you've got to do when you've got to do it. You don't act that way. It's helpful for me before I cross that line or grab that fruit off that tree and do what God has told me not to, to think, who are you here? And Abigail does it splendidly. Oh, Adonai. Your majesty, can your servant have a few words with you here? as he's about to knock this guy's block off. Well, that's helpful. It's perspective. In the next verse, she turns the attention off of David, and she turns it to the worm on the hook. <laughs> and she says, would you think about the bait here for a second? Take a look at it. Verse 25, may my Lord, that is David, pay no attention to that wicked man Nabal. He's just like his name. His name is fool. In Hebrew, Nabal means fool, means foolish. And folly goes with him. But as for me, your servant, I didn't see the men that my master sent. I didn't see your delegation coming, so I wasn't there to help. But this guy, he's just a fool. He's not worth it. And you know the second thing you and I need to do in the midst of our temptation this week? We need to ponder the bait. We need to ponder for a few seconds. What is it that's luring me into this? Is he worth it, really, Is it worth it? Some of us are cutting corners in our life to accomplish some kind of materialistic goal in our life that God doesn't have for us. And as we cut corners, as we compromise to get the job, to get the promotion, to get the raise, to get the house, to get the car, to get the vacation home, and as we go after those things, you've got to ask yourself, are those things really worth violating this relationship? In light of who God is and who He's adopted me to be, is anything I'm tempted to go after really worth cutting corners and offending my Father? And the answer is going to be if you ponder that for a few minutes, no. And that's what Abigail is saying. Nabal's not worth it. For you to do something that would put you at odds with God, I'm telling you, Nabal's not the guy. He's not worth it. He's just a fool. Satan paints up the fool and he paints up the temptation. And he lays it out for us and he says, this is really attractive. You really got to have this. You really need this, whether it's revenge, pleasure, whether it's greedy, materialistic things, whether it's backbiting, criticism, whether whatever it is. It's there and it's shiny for us before we take it. But the moment we take it and we clamp down on the bait... Usually that's when Satan walks away and all the varnish comes off and he says, fine, I've accomplished my goal. I've made you and your life compromise. I've disgraced God. I've, I've, I've discredited the church. I mean, you've sinned now and he walks away from it. And when he does, it's funny how quickly our vision clears up and we see, you know, it really is kind of gross. It is disgusting. I can't believe I cashed in my integrity for that person. I can't believe I cashed in my, my integrity for that feeling, for that thing. It was so not worth it. We need to ponder the bait, but not just ponder it. We need to ponder the bait from God's perspective. When God looks down at that scene, he sees the prince of Israel and some old crotchety fool. And he says, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're a prince and, and he's not worth it. Why would you want to do that and compromise the standards of God to get satisfaction on him? He's not worth it. Let me say today, just knowing who God is, I don't care what your temptation is, she's not worth it, he's not worth it, it's not worth it, that's not worth it. In your mind, you need to ponder that. And it's funny how fast our vision clears up. Let me show you one example. Keep your finger here in 1 Samuel 25. Turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 13. Let me show you a sad day in Israel's history even made more profoundly sad for us because we feel like we've come to know David and this involves two of David's children. Second Samuel chapter 13, the story begins with a son of David named Amnon who was filled with lust for his half-sister Tamar. Amnon, in his mind, being caught up in lustful sexual desire, he says, i got to have her. He was attracted. He couldn't get through an hour without thinking of Tamar. She was so beautiful to him, and he wanted to have her. His sinful friend suggests the strategy. He says, you know, if you acted like you were sick, you sent out all the attendants, And you brought your sister in and invited her to make you your favorite meal. You could get her in there in your room. You could sit her on the side of your bed. She can be feeding you this meal. And perhaps you can have satisfaction and get what you want. He carries out this plan. And in verse 11, you'll see it. As she's there with this meal in hand, he grabs her and he says, Come to bed with me, my sister. Don't, my brother, she says. Don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Don't do this wicked thing. What about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? What about you? Using a little logic of Abigail here. She says, you would be like one of the wicked fools in Israel. Here she's giving him all this reason, but in his mind, I got to have it. I got to have it. And Satan had painted this thing so shiny and the worm looks so delightful. He's got to have it. And look at the next verse, verse 14. He refused to listen to her. And since he was stronger than she, he raped her. The prince, the child of the king of Israel, rapes his half-sister. Now, you're thinking if Satan is good on his promises, that this is really what you want, this is really going to be fulfilling to you, you'd think verse 15 would be filled with a guy who's just greatly satisfied, right? Verse 15. Amnon hated her with intense hatred. In fact, this is worth underlining, he hated her more than he had loved her, or better translated, he hated her more than he had desired her. (laughs) If we could just see that before we cross the line, We compromise to get the money to buy the stuff we think is going to be so fulfilling. We get it because we've compromised God's word. And then it becomes to us something we hate. It becomes something we despise. It is like the proverb says, the the bread that's gained by dishonesty, it becomes gravel in our mouth. But it seems so delightful. It seems so tasteful before I got it. But when I compromise to get it, when I cross the line of sin, now I see how disgusting it is. Have you experienced that before? Satan paints it and says, take it. And then you take it and you go, oh, I hate it. How does that happen? It happens because we neglect to ponder the bait. The bait is just something Satan has painted up. It's much like the carnival games. You know those carnival games? I grew up in Long Beach. Remember the pike where they had all those carnival games laid out there? My dad said, no, you don't play the carnival games. My dad was a cop. He used to walk a beat down downtown Long Beach. He knew the carnival games. He knew all the shysters. He knew all the tricks. He knew all that stuff. And he'd say to me, when I said, Dad, give me a dollar. Let me go down there and play those games. He'd say, No, you're not playing those games. It's a ripoff. Oh, but Dad, there's guys there winning. I mean, they should see this. This one guy, he's winning, man. And Dad says, No, it's a trick. Don't. But Dad, I can get that softball in that milk can. Just let me do it, man. I'm going to win that big thing. No. Well, you know, the first thing I did, once I could ride my bike down there, right? Get my own allowance. I don't need dad. Forget it. That's going to be the fulfillment of my, I'm going to go down there and win all that stuff hanging on the wall. I can do it probably on the first quarter. Well, I learned. And you learned. You're laughing. You learned this too, right? I experienced what I wouldn't listen to from my father who said, don't, it's a ripoff. And some of you are on the other side of crossing some pretty major lines of compromise, aren't you? Saying, I was told it wasn't worth it, but I had to. And I did, and when I did, I realized how disgusting it was. Could you get a little bit of that flavor in the things that are currently tempting you? Can you say, let's ponder the bait for a minute. Abigail says, Nabal's just a fool. He's not worth it and whatever it is that Satan's dangling in front of you, it's not worth it, trust me. You gotta think of who you are, it's gonna be helpful. Child of the king, you gotta think of what's baiting the hook in your life, it's not worth it, it's a rip off, it always is. Satan, will paint it, make it look good, but it's not good. She then, if you'd look back in 1 Samuel chapter 25, she then lays this on him, and this is so ingenious, she starts to talk about his future with great confidence. First, she assumes that she's making progress in this conversation in verse 26 by saying, Now, since Yahweh has kept you, my master, from bloodshed and avenging yourself with your own hands, as surely as Yahweh lives and as you live, may all your enemies who intend to harm you be like my master Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my master be given to the men who follow you Please forgive your servant's offense, for Yahweh will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my master, because he, that is David, fights the Lord's battles. And you see this picture, you're more dignified. You got more important, you got national security. What are you you dabbling in sin for? No, don't do it. Let no wrongdoing be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my master, that is David, will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. Now, how can she be so sure of that? Look at this last line. But the lives of your enemies, he, that is the Lord, will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. You think those words start to cut deep into his heart? Mm, You're right. God is powerful. God will take care of me. God will take my enemies and deal with them. I don't have to compromise. I don't have to sin to get my needs met. You see, the sin of David is a lot like our needs and our, our temptations. The temptation that David was facing started with a legitimate need. The need was, I've been wrong. There needs to be some equity here. This isn't right. We've been good to Nabal. Nabal's been bad to us. But that need, Satan had provided a wonderfully baited hook that looked like a good option that was an illegitimate way to satisfy that desire. And really what Abigail does that's so ingenious in this passage is she says, God will meet your needs. He'll do it. You just have to believe that. Nabal, no problem. God will be like a rock in a sling. You remember that, don't you, David? It'll be just like a rock. He'll cast your enemies away from you. Number three, when you and I are faced with temptation this week, that's what you need to do. You need to stop and say, I believe God will meet my needs. He'll meet my needs. I know that. I can't think of a person that's confessed to me their sexual sin who wasn't in their own mind convinced that they had to meet their needs by that violation. I need to be loved. I need to have pleasure. I need to get satisfied. All these things go through their mind. I need to do that. And what they're saying is I can't do it within the framework of God's parameters. If I follow God, my needs not going to be met. If I follow my own passion and desires, I'll be gratified. They forget who they are. They forget the bait is never satisfying and it's never worth it. they're really also saying is, I don't believe God will meet my needs. I don't believe it. I got to meet my needs. Abigail says, God will meet your needs. It's not because God doesn't know and God doesn't care. He does know and he does care. And if he does know and he does care, then we can be confident, can't we? That, you know, my needs will be eventually met. The problem is I don't want my needs eventually met. I want my needs met now. And so really this is a point about patience, isn't it? You and I need to say God will meet my needs eventually. I looked at this property deal this week. Do you think I was bummed out about that? I was tempted to be really angry about this. Cuz I thought to my and I could go into all the reasons why I felt justified in being upset. But what I really had to say is I know you know the need and I know you love me so you'll meet the need. You just don't seem to be meeting it now. And all that means is that your ways are much better than my ways. Your timing's much better than mine. Your choice on real estate is much better than mine so we'll let you just deal with it. My kid doesn't understand this and I realized my own folly and my relationship with God by watching my two-year-old. Have you had that experience? He wants to eat candy bars at nine in the morning, right? He wants M&M's for breakfast. I mean, he wants to do what he wants. He wants to play outside, you know, in the middle of winter with no clothes on, right? I mean, he wants the dumbest things. And I say to him, some of those desires I can understand, but I can't let you do it because that wouldn't be loving of me. Because in your immaturity and your lack of perception and your knowledge that's so limited, you think eating M&M's for every meal is good, but it's not good for you. And so I have to say no. Do I let my kids eat M&M's? Yes, at the right time, in the right amount. And God is saying to your desires, you know what? It's not that I don't recognize it. It's not that I don't see it. It's not that I don't care. It's not that I don't know. It's that I love you. And I'll meet your needs in my time. You don't have to meet your own needs sin is always fanned into a flame by the enemy by this passion to meet my needs now and you've got to say God if you've got to develop something in my life that I need to fight sin it's patience and it's a confidence that you will meet my needs not in my timetable but you'll meet them. Abigail ingenious God'll hurl your enemies away you don't have to worry about that God will establish you in your kingdom I know it next verse she says this and I love it it's not if she says when verse 30 when the Lord has done for my master every good thing he promised concerning him. I love that. She's so sure. She's so confident. She says, and when he has appointed you as the leader over Israel, you know, if you would just refrain from sinning, then my master would not have on his conscience, note this, underline these words, the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. This to me was the apex of this passage. This was the verse I honed in on this week and just went through thoroughly and dismantled. It is such an important verse because she's saying to him, think of your conscience. Think of it and value it. It is so important that you protect it. Number four on your outline, you need to value your conscience. And you might wanna add this word if you have room, value it highly it needs to be highly valued because god has put a precedent a, a premium rather on the clarity and the purity of our conscience several times in the new testament you'll find the apostle paul putting these words with the conscience as as the desire of his heart for his followers i want you to have a pure conscience i want you to have a clean conscience i want you to have a good conscience What does that mean? That means Paul doesn't want us to be filled with scars in our Christian life of having compromised and crossed lines. He doesn't want, to put it in Abigail's words, for us to have the staggering burden of violating God's standards. And some of you can testify to this. You know how terribly frustrating it is to have a scar on your conscience. Does that mean that God doesn't forgive? Does that mean we need to do some kind of penance? Does that mean that we're not fully forgiven? It means none of that. God forgives, doesn't he? Yeah, he forgives. But you know what? The healing of our conscience takes a long time. And it is a painful process. I was working with my garage tools, which is not always a safe thing if I'm doing it. And I happened to put this uh, big Makita drill not on purpose, mind you, but by accident. It went right in to the fold of my skin and my finger and just put a nasty cut right there. This was a couple years ago. I'd cut my fingers countless times, which shows the competence of my skill in the garage, but I'd always had them heal so quickly, right? It only took a, you know, a few days, a week, a week, two weeks max, and that thing was like it was never even cut. This didn't heal well, and I knew something was wrong. I was in because I was sick or something and I said to the doctor, Would you look at this? I cut myself here about a month ago and I just it just not right. And he examined it, he looked at it, he said, Yeah, you've severed the nerve in your finger. And I, you know, my eyes got big. I never severed a nerve before. Well, what's what's that mean? Is this gonna heal? And he started poking and prodding, and he says, uh, does that what does that feel like? What is that? And and he showed me just how much feeling was gone in the end of my finger. And I said, oh, wow, yeah, will I ever get it back? He says, yeah, you'll get it back. When you cut your skin, it'll heal in a week or two. When you sever your nerve and cut the nerve fibers, he said, they'll grow back, but the rate of their repair is so much slower. He said, it'll take probably over a year for you to get your feeling back in the end of your finger. I thought to myself as I studied this passage, you know, that's what it's like when we sin it cuts not just the skin of our spiritual life, it cuts down to our conscience. And our conscience doesn't heal quickly, no matter how quickly God forgives us. Our conscience, when it is scarred, there is pain there, sometimes for decades, and you can testify to that, can't you? Things you're thinking, oh, that has been a staggering burden in my mind if we could think about that before we cross those lines and stop and ponder who I am, ponder the bait, it's never worth it, ponder the fact that God will meet my needs and then think, you know, I value my conscience enough not to put another scar on it. You'll stand back, I trust, and say it's not worth it. Sin is not worth it. I know by the virtue of your commitment, many of you call yourselves Christians here today, You will be in the sights of the enemy. He will dangle bait in front of you this week, and he will try to get you to sin. Would you this week take the advice of the best Dear Abby column I've ever read and say, I won't do it because I know who I am. I know the bait's never worth it. I know God meets my need, and I value my conscience far too much to do it. Would you look at the postscript real quickly? Verse 32, David says to Abigail, I love this, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for, for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from, and, for, and from avenging myself with my own hand. When he set down the sword, listen to reason. She saved him from sin. The end of the story, God was faithful to his word to take David's enemies and deal with them for him. And sure enough, Nabal is struck with probably a stroke. He goes into a coma for 10 days and he dies. After that all transpired, he thought, boy, that Abigail, she was sharp. (laughs) He sent a delegation out there and said, would you be interested in marrying me? And David finds a new wife in this passage, the dear Abby of the Bible who cares a lot about people's relationship with God and keeping it pure. I trust this week you'll work hard on that.
0: Wise words to consider as we continue living in the world equipped with the resources of God. You're listening to pastor, author, and teacher Mike Fabares, and this is Focal Point. Now, if you joined us a little late today and would like to listen again, or if you'd like to download the PDF message notes, you'll find them online at focalpointradio.org. Focal Point challenges you to ingest God's Word verse by verse as a regular part of daily life. It's one of the best ways to make sure you're taking in the whole truth of life-changing scriptures. And when you give a financial gift of any amount, you're making sure God's flock across the nation is being galvanized with the power we need to take a stand when our faith is under fire. Partner with us with a generous gift today, won't you? By calling 888 320 or go online to focalpointradio.org. Well, when we adhere to God's Word, no matter the situation, we learn to overcome obstacles with His grace and optimism. And that's why Pastor Mike and the Focal Point team have selected The Bumps Are What You Climb On as this month's resource. In 30 brief accessible chapters, author and Bible teacher Warren Wiersbe provides solid hope and comfort for those times you're faced with frustration, depression, disappointment, or loneliness. When you give a donation of any amount to the ministry of Focal Point, we'll say thanks by sending you this helpful book. Request it today when you call us at 888-320-5885. Online, go to focalpointradio.org. Now maybe you're ready to take your support to the next level by becoming a Focal Point partner. Monthly support from these faithful friends has been absolutely essential in these days of inflation and uncertainty, providing a reliable source of income so we can continue to bring you and so many others this daily program. Now you can join the team at focalpointradio.org. You can also write to Focal Point. Our address is Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. Well, I'm Dave Drewy inviting you to join us again Thursday when we continue exploring the depths of scripture right here on Focal Point. Hi, Pastor Mike here. God's word promises it'll never return void. So I wonder how is God's
1: word moving in your heart right now? Drop us a line. Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to be praying for you here. Just go to focalpointradio.org and then be sure to join us again
0: tomorrow right here as we continue to explore the depths of Scripture. We'll see you then. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.